Hello, and welcome to another episode of Her Head in Films. I'm Caitlin, and I'm your host. On this podcast, I share my thoughts and feelings about the films that I watch. They tend to be art house and world cinema. What makes this podcast unique is that I weave together my life experiences with an in-depth discussion of the films that I love. I explore the impact that cinema has on me and why I connect so deeply to it. As I like to say, my head isn't in the clouds, my head is in films. Today's episode is all about Peter Weber's 2003 film, Girl with a Pearl Earring. It stars Scarlett Johansson and Colin Firth, and it's an adaptation of the Tracy Chevalier book, Girl with a Pearl Earring, which imagines how Johannes Vermeer's iconic painting by the same name was created. In the film, Scarlett Johansson plays Greet. She's a young maid in 17th century Holland who has to go and work in the Vermeer household to help support her family. While she's there, she and Vermeer experience a very intense connection, but as he begins to paint her, lots of drama ensues. It's a beautiful film, and I love the book as well, and there are spoilers in this episode. Every episode of this podcast has spoilers. So I go into the plot, I go into everything about the film, so please be aware of that, that if you listen to this episode, there will be spoilers. I talk about the profound impact that both of the book and the film had in my life when I was a teenager. I explore Vermeer's life and his art, and finally I talk about the film itself and why I love it so much. I don't think this film really gets the appreciation that it deserves. I think it tends to be dismissed as a costume drama, but there is really so much depth to it, from the way it looks at gender, class, and patriarchy, to the acting, and so much more. I'm going to go into all of it, so I hope that you'll stick around and that you'll listen to the full episode. Her Head in Films has a Patreon where you can financially support the work I'm doing on a monthly basis and you can access rewards and extras like behind-the-scenes stuff, merchandise, and extra episodes. You can find more information at patreon.com slash herheadinfilms. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com backslash herheadinfilms. At one level, you get a shout out on each episode. So I'd first love to give a warm welcome to my new patron, Christopher. Thank you for being a patron. And I'd also like to give a shout out to my other wonderful patrons, Kelsey, Aaron, Tyler, Max, Juan, Teal, JD, Vanessa, Spunden, Polina, Olivia, Carolyn, Jesse, Feminist Overlord, Lord, Michelle, and Lindsay. Thank you all so much. If financial support isn't an option for you, please consider reviewing the podcast on iTunes and or Stitcher. If you write a review, I will read it on an episode of the podcast. And I actually have a new iTunes review that I'd like to read. It's written by Allie. He's the host of the Russo Files Unite podcast, which you all should check out. He and his guests talk about Russian and Soviet cinema in a really engaging and accessible way. I enjoy the podcast. Of Her Head and Films, Allie wrote on iTunes that it is an intensely personal and frequently quite emotionally raw take on a wide range of films with a particular focus on art house. Full of astute observations and analysis from host Caitlin, this podcast has given me plenty of movies to add to my watch list. Well, thank you so much, Allie. I really appreciate that. 
If you don't listen on iTunes, don't want to leave a review, uh, please tell your friends and followers about Her Head and Films, or you can send me an encouraging message on social media, just interact with me in a positive way. I I enjoy hearing from y'all. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Her Head and Films, and you can see the links to all my social media accounts listed in the show notes of each episode. So I won't wait any longer. Let's get started. Let's talk about Girl with a Pearl Earring and really how important the film and the book have been in my life. And I'm really excited to talk about this film. So here we go. unexpected but Girl with a Pearl Earring is actually something that is a big part of my life. It starts as a painting by Johannes Vermeer that he created probably around 1665. It inspired a book by Tracy Chevalier that was released in 1999. That novel inspired the film that came out in 2003 and I would say all three of these things have had a major impact on my life, but it really starts with Tracy Chevalier's book, Girl with a Pearl Earring. It came out in 1999. I don't know if that's the exact year that I read it, but I'm sure I read it around that time, probably the early 2000s. I wish I knew the exact year. I would love to know that, actually. I loved historical fiction when I was a young girl. I was born in 1989, and the 90s had something called the American Girls. I don't know if a lot of you know about them, but I I think this was a thing in the 90s. It would focus on different girls from different eras in history, and I loved to collect the American Girl books because I was fascinated by history from a really early age. So I would read those books, and I also read other kinds of historical fiction, It's just something that's always interested me. I really love historical fiction about painters, writers, famous historical figures, usually women. Tracy Chevalier's books are some of my favorite historical fiction. She wrote Girl with a Pearl Earring, but she also has other books like The Virgin Blue and Falling Angels. And all of her books, for the most part, I think, are historical fiction. And she often focuses on women from the past. And that's always been a really compelling thing for me. And I also like historical dramas, films that are based in the past as well. I've just always been really interested in history from a really early age. I think it's important. I think it matters. And I'm someone who's just always been curious about it. You know, curious about what happened in the past and and the stories of different people. I remember seeing the cover of this book. I want to say that I probably got it at Barnes & Noble in the early 2000s. I'm, I was probably browsing as I used to do as a kid because the internet wasn't really part of our lives then. It wasn't part of mine. I didn't have really regular access to the internet and my own laptop until like 2010. So my life up to 2010, I was going to bookstores. I was 
going to video stores and things like that. That was a big part of my life. And I remember that my mom and dad used to take me to Barnes and Noble. And I loved to look at the poetry books. I loved to collect journals. I still write in a diary and I used to like buying beautiful journals. They were really expensive at Barnes and Noble though. (laughs) I also loved looking at the art books and the photography books and the literature and all of that. And so one day, I guess I probably came across Girl with a Pearl Earring. And I remember that the cover really fascinated me and captured me. I don't think I had ever seen a Vermeer painting. I don't think I had ever seen Girl with a Pearl Earring. And I'm at a time in my life where I'm thinking more about my childhood, where I'm almost obsessed with it. Probably the years up to the point when I was about 13. I've just been thinking a lot about that. I'm almost 30 years old. And so I guess it's sort of a natural thing that as you get older, or as you become an adult, you do think more about your childhood and the different experiences that might have shaped you. And so Girl with a Pearl Earring is a big part of my life in that way. That I remember reading this book. I remember being taken over by the story. And the thing is, is that Girl with a Pearl Earring, the painting by Vermeer, we don't know anything about the girl who's in it. We have no idea who it was. Could have been a model. Could have been his daughter. Could have been anybody. And so Tracy Chevalier takes that and runs with it. And she created a story about a young girl named Greet. And Greet's father gets injured at the tile factory where he works in Delft, Holland in the 1600s, you know, the 1660s. He becomes disabled. He's not able to provide for the family anymore. And so Greek goes to be a maid at the home of the Vermeers, of Johannes Vermeer and his wife, Katharina, her mother, Maria Tins, and he has several children by then. Vermeer only painted about 36 paintings. He was actually a slow painter. It caused some issues uh, because of that. He didn't, he wasn't like a prolific painter by any means. So Tracy Chevalier is inspired by certain parts of Vermeer's life, but the story itself is completely fictional and completely fabricated. And Vermeer has a patron named Van Riven, and he wants this portrait done of Greet. And that is what becomes Girl with a Pearl Earring. So that's sort of the gist of the story. I'm obviously going to talk more about the film and, and all of that and go fuller into the story. For this episode, I actually revisited the book. It had been many years since I'd last read it. And I was always sympathetic towards Greet. I always saw Greet as this really compelling female character. Here is this young girl going into another family's home, having to leave her own family, a girl struggling and having to provide for her parents. And I think she had some siblings too in the book. And so it's very much a story about a working class woman, about a maid. And that's very important to me. I talk about class a lot on this podcast. So there are different things about the story that resonate with me. And I'll go deeper into that when I get into the film. But I wanted to talk about how this book is important to me, partly because it's from my childhood. I think that when we're children, there are things that just, they affect us very deeply. I can't always remember what happened last week, but I have very intense memories of things that happened when I was a child, of books that I read that I still remember scenes from. I still remember the plot. And then a book I read last week has already disappeared in my mind. You know, I remember certain kinds of art that 
that I discovered as a child, books I read, films I watched. I just have these very intense sensory memories of those experiences. And Girl with a Pearl Earring is one of those. I remember reading this book and just being astonished by it because it's beautifully written. I think Tracy Chevalier is a wonderful writer. And there's a flow about the book and, and it's told in first person from the perspective of Greet. So the, the book has just taken on so much importance in my life because it got me interested in Johannes Vermeer. I didn't know anything about him until I read the book. So I really credit the book partly with sparking my interest in art and in paintings. I mean, I can't say for sure if I was already collecting art books by the time I read it, but I really feel like it got me much more interested in Vermeer's work. And I remember going to Barnes and Noble and getting a an, a book of Vermeer's paintings. Barnes and Noble used to publish these affordable uh, volumes of art books, and it was one of the ways that I was able to accumulate some art books. I had a book about um, Picasso, Van Gogh, Georgia O'Keeffe, all kinds of these. They're like thin books, and they had like reproductions of the paintings. And they were very affordable. And it was one way that I was able to collect art books. I remember really being in love with the Impressionists when I was young. I love Impressionist art. I still do. You know, Renoir and Degas and all of that. I I love Impressionist art. But I also really loved Vermeer. And I love Frida Kahlo. She was a big influence on me when I was younger. And so this book got me interested in art. But I just think the book also deepened my interest in art and my love of paintings. So for that, I'm just sort of forever grateful. And I still remember going to Barnes and Noble and buying these art books and reading them and learning about the artists and looking at the paintings and being really inspired by them. Um, and it just the book in a lot of ways opened up another world to me when I was young I mean it came out in 1999 I would have been 10 years old I don't know if I read it when I was 10 but I would say I read it at least by the time I was a teenager the book was a big part of my childhood that I remember and I even remember I think I was in high school and I took a pottery class and I think my pottery teacher was reading Girl with a Pearl Earring or she was reading something to do with Vermeer and I was talking to her, I guess, about art or about Vermeer or Delft or Holland or something like that. And she was really impressed that for me to be like a teenager that I knew about, you know, 17th century Delft Holland, right? And about Vermeer and all of these things. And um, she was just really impressed with that. And I guess with my maturity or something like that. And so that was sort of a nice moment that we shared. And it just opened up my life. It, it helped me, um, it helped me connect deeper to art, I think, and it got me interested in different kinds of art. And so that's why the book is important. And just because it's part of my childhood, and I'm just sort of constantly obsessed with my childhood. Uh, my father got sick when I was around 13 years old. He started to have health problems, and then he died in 2006 when I was around 16 years old. And so the time before he got sick and the time before he died is sort of this golden era, I guess, of my life. And so I've been thinking more about it. I've been thinking more about like the before of my life and 
the things that I was interested in and the things that I was passionate about. And I think that time in my life sort of served as a foundation for everything that happened afterwards and the person that I am today. I'm I'm a sensitive person. I'm a thoughtful person. I'm a curious person. I do care about people. I do care about what happens in the world. I like to be informed. I like to know what's going on. I like art and culture and poetry and literature and cinema, as you all know. And a lot of that, the seeds of that were were planted at an early age through something like Girl with the Pearl Earring. And the film as well was really important to me because I had read the book. And so I had to see the film and I just fell so deeply in love with the film, just as deeply as I had fallen in love with the book. For me, that's the thing about cinema. I almost see films as part of this constellation in your life that I think sometimes a film is more than just a film. It's deeply connected to the time in your life when you saw it and it's part of a constellation of things that you don't remember just the film. You Sometimes you remember the film but you also remember where you saw the film. You remember who was with you. You remember what was happening in your life at that time. You remember the ripple effect and the ramifications of the film. How the film maybe acted as a catalyst and got you interested in a writer or an artist or a time period or maybe it resonated with you and showed you something about yourself or your own life. So for me, films are always much bigger than just a film, I guess. And I love talking about movies in this way. That's why the podcast is so personal and so emotional at times. It's not just about Girl with the Pearl Earring, the film, and and divorced from everything else. You know, I'm not here to just talk about the production and the plot and what happened on set and things like that. What I want to talk about is what did the film mean to me at that particular time in my life? What did it inspire in me? What did it make me feel? How did it change me? How did it influence me and maybe make me who I am today? And a film doesn't have to be a masterpiece to do that. I mean, this is probably like the 10th time I've seen this film. I've seen it so many times. I think it's gorgeous. I think it could almost be a masterpiece, really, but nobody talks about this film. It's, I think it's sort of dismissed in a lot of ways. I think people just see it as, oh, it's a historical drama. It's a period piece. Who cares about that? I think films like that tend to get dismissed. They tend to be talked about as though they're all surface and there's nothing deeper to them that There's nothing beyond the costumes and the look and the aesthetic of the film. Whereas I think historical dramas, if they're done well, can really be emotionally rich. They can be nuanced. They can be complex. They can be deeply moving depending on what themes they're exploring. And for me, Girl with a Pearl Earring does that. But at the same time, I can never talk about the film objectively because I watched it at such a formative time in my life when I was becoming who I am. I was in that process. I was sort of in that tender, malleable place where everything affected me. 
where I felt everything. And I don't know if I'll ever be like that again. I mean, that's the way we are in our childhood. And I think we lose that as we get older. We lose that ability to be awed by things and astonished and overwhelmed by art. I think art can just have such a huge impact on us when we're younger. And it can influence us in really unseen ways. But for me, film is a film is part of like a constellation of things. The film doesn't exist by itself in a vacuum alone. It is interconnected with everything else that's going on in my life. It's it's connected to the time at which I saw it, the person I was, who who I was with, and the ramifications of the film itself and how it shaped me. All of that is part of Girl with a Pearl Earring. All of it. And I think that's important to talk about. That's how I want to talk about films. I don't want to talk about them as these isolated things. I want to talk about that rich, that rich life that they can take on inside of you, how they can become part of you. And really, it's a mysterious process, I think, because a lot of people have seen Girl with a Pearl Earring and it may have no effect on them. But then I saw it. I saw this film and I still remember having the DVD. I remember being in my bedroom and putting it in my DVD player and watching it on my t- my little TV that I had. I just would watch it over and over again. It was one of those films that I just sort of obsessively watched at times because I was so deeply in love with it, in love with the story and in love with what it had to say, you know. And so it just, it it really was a big catalyst for my love of art and my interest in art. And that's a big part of me. I don't talk about it a lot on the podcast. I talk more about literature and obviously I talk about film, but I I used to collect art books and now I'm like one of those people that goes on Pinterest and, you know, I'm always looking at, I like black and white photography and vintage photography and I love art like impressionists and like modernist art, abstract, abstract expressionism, all of it. I'm just fascinated by all of it. So I love women artists. (laughs) So I have a big interest in art and I find that it inspires me and that I just deeply love it. And so I think Girl with the Pearl Earring, the book and the film were really crucial. And I don't think that I would be who I am today without the book and the film. And so that's really important. And it's just something that I wanted to touch on because that's why I wanted to talk about it for the podcast. Every film that I choose is chosen for a reason. It's always personal. It's always connected to something going on in my life and something that I need to say. And so recently it's been about my childhood, about thinking about who I was at 10, 11, 12, the things I was watching and reading, the things that affected me and and transformed me. And so this is a film that I come back to and that I just deeply love. So I want to talk a little bit about Johannes Vermeer. <laughs> and just tell a bit about his life. He was born in Delft, Holland in 1632. He died in 1675. He was only in his in his 40s when he died. He was part of what was called the Dutch Golden Age, which was this period where there was tremendous artistic production and other people who are part of it was like Rembrandt and then Vermeer is really well known as being part of that period as as well. He was not a prolific painter. He only painted about 36 paintings as I said earlier. When he died at the age of 43 he left behind eight children and tremendous debts and his wife had to pay off those debts by selling many of his paintings and he was actually forgotten for two centuries. 
For 200 years, people really did not know who Vermeer was. It wasn't until the 19th century that his work was rediscovered, and now he is considered one of the great masters. Not a lot is known about Vermeer. It's not like he left behind a voluminous pile of letters and correspondence and all kinds of information. He's very much like a blank. He's a mystery. We don't know a ton of things about his life. His paintings are so compelling to me. I read Girl with a Pearl Earring. I loved that painting that was on the cover. That's his most famous painting, I would say. But the book got me interested in more about his life and in his work. And so that's when I think I probably got that book at Barnes & Noble and was able to really go through and look at his paintings for myself. And for me personally, uh, what makes his work so compelling is the way that he looks at the private life of women. A lot of his paintings are interiors. They're inside a room and they feature a woman doing different tasks. It's, it's always usually a different woman. She may be cleaning. She may be pouring milk. She may be reading a letter. She may be putting on pearls. She may be playing music. All of his paintings really freeze a moment of a woman's life. And often he captures women's labor as well. You know, pouring milk. It looks like a maid pouring that milk. A girl doing lace work. So often these paintings show women's work, but also I feel like they capture something about a woman's inner life and inner world. The women in his paintings are sort of enigmatic. You don't know exactly what they're thinking. And so I think the the quietness and the silence in his paintings are what has always compelled me, that they focus on women, they focus on the domestic sphere, the domestic space and just capture women in everyday tasks. They're not doing anything extraordinary or important or major. It's just reading a letter, putting on some pearls. I think one, I think one painting even shows a woman who's fallen asleep. So they show these very quiet, mundane, ordinary moments. And for me, that's just profoundly compelling. I mean, that's what our life is made up of, are these small, quiet moments. And beyond that, there's just the quality of the work, the feeling that you can touch the silk. You can touch the pearl that's that's glimmering in the painting. You can touch the skin of the woman. You can touch the tapestry. He brings those objects to life through the craftsmanship of his painting. He was just really, really gifted. You can just you can tell the craftsmanship. He was actually an apprentice for about six years and really learned the craft and the art of painting. And it comes through. And specifically, Girl with a Pearl Earring, that painting, I think it, of all of his paintings, I would say it's definitely my favorite. Although I love so many of them. There's this one of a woman wearing a red hat that's always sort of fascinated me. Her eyes look kind of glassy and she's looking at the viewer and that one has always sort of stayed with me. I, I like the the maid pouring the milk. There's this beautiful blue and gold in that painting. It's incredibly rich and beautiful. And I think what's so amazing about Girl with a Pearl Earring is that this girl seems to materialize out of the darkness. The In all of his paintings, almost, I guess you could say, the background, the the woman is within an interior that is decorated. 
So she's in a room and so you see the tiles on the floor, you see the window, you see the paintings on the wall. So she's within the context of a room, whereas Girl with a Pearl Earring is very different. And she looks different too. The other women in the other paintings might be wearing a white cap which is what Greet wears in the film, you know, to cover their heads. And then some of the women have bare head and you can see their hair. Girl with a pearl earring is different. She's wearing a turban, which is striking. She is not placed within any kind of context. The background is completely black. So it's like she's materializing out of the darkness. And her lips are partially parted as though she's about to speak or or maybe she's looking back and she meant to say something to whoever's painting her. There is this shimmer or this light in her eyes, on her bottom lip, in the pearl. She looks incredibly alive to you and the darkness is what makes is what makes her seem even more alive. It's almost as though she's floating in space. She's frozen in this pose of looking back at the viewer. And because her lips are parted, it feels like she could say something. It feels like she could speak at any moment. So there's this sense of her vitality and her life, even though it's just painting on a canvas. It's not real. It's not a real person. We don't know who posed for it. And so I think that is what's enigmatic about Girl with a Pearl Earring. For me, that's what makes her stand out. And a lot of the women in the other paintings by Vermeer are not looking at the viewer. In one painting, the woman is holding up pearls and she's looking in a mirror. The milkmaid is looking down. The, some of the women are looking at their lace or looking at their letter. They're engaged in some kind of task that Vermeer has painted them in. They're playing music, playing a guitar. But with Girl with a Pearl Earring, she has a gaze. It's not just us having a gaze. She has one. She is looking back at us as though she wants to say something to us. So she's engaged more with the viewer. And I think that's also what makes her very striking is her own gaze within the painting and what she's looking at and what she might be about to say. Tracy Chevalier was immediately inspired by the painting when she first saw it. And she talks about in one interview about wondering what Vermeer had done to make her look like that, to make the the girl look like that. And she really saw it as a painting about a relationship between the painter and the model. And I thought that was really fascinating. She immediately starts to think about the circumstances of the painting. And that's what inspires the story that she wrote in her novel. Is what is the relationship between the model and the painter? And so that was really her starting point as a writer. And she would go on to write this really simple and beautiful story about a maid and Vermeer. And I'll put all of my sources in the show notes of this episode. I watched a lot of different documentaries and I did a lot of research for this episode, probably too much, but I just really wanted to know a lot about Vermeer. I wanted to know more about why Tracy wrote the book and different things like that. So that'll definitely be in the show notes. I think it's also important to note that often back then, at the time when Vermeer was painting, paintings were not necessarily made for the public or for some kind of public viewing. They were often made for private collectors. You have to think about Girl with a Pearl Earring was most likely painted for a particular patron, for one person 
usually a man, to look at the painting by himself or in his home, that he's going to be gazing at this painting and it's going to be created for his pleasure. And that's something that Tracy builds into the story in the book and it's obviously in the film. So it's not just about the relationship between the model and the painter, but also the model and the patron. Why was this painting done? Why was it created? Who was it created for? What purpose did it serve for that person? Of course, we don't know any of that. That's what was created in in this story. So that's just a little bit of background about Vermeer. He's really a mystery. He's really a blank space in a lot of ways. And he always will be. We just don't have a lot of information about him. So the film was released in 2003. It's directed by Peter Weber and it stars a really great cast. Vermeer is played by Colin Firth, who I think is at his most handsome and sexy that he's ever been, (laughs) except maybe Bridget Jones's Diary. He was quite attractive in that film, but there is something very smoldering about Colin Firth in this film. Like, I almost can't handle it when I watch it. (laughs) He's very, very sexy in this film, I think. I have a huge crush on Colin Firth. Greet is played by Scarlett Johansson. Van Riven, this is going to be the patron of Vermeer. He is the person who wants the portrait of Greet created for him, is played by Tom Wilkinson. We have Essie Davis as Katharina, who is Vermeer's wife, and she does an outstanding job. You might recognize her from the Babadook and also Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries. Cillian Murphy plays Peter, who is Greet's boyfriend. So we have a really great cast here. Like, really great. And what's also notable about the film is that it comes at the, really the the beginning of Scarlett Johansson's rise in fame. While she was making the film, she was not quite as well known. But Lost in Translation was, recent, was released before Girl with the Pearl Earring. And Lost in Translation, I would say, is Scarlett's really big sort of breakout role. I think it puts her on the map. I th- She was well known. I think she was pretty well known before then, but Lost in Translation seemed to put her on a different level, I think. And Girl with a Pearl Earring comes out a few months after that film. So it really captures Scarlett in this transitional period of her career where she's going from an actress that's that's known into a star, into a starlet in a lot of ways, I think. I really like Scarlett Johansson's early roles, and this is probably my favorite film by her, personally. Although she's really great in Jonathan Glazer's Under the Skin. That's a really great role that she did as well. And she's wonderful in Lost in Translation. She's good in The Horse Whisper. She's done some good films, but for me, I think Girl with a Pearl Earring really showcased her acting ability. It just, I think she embodies great in a really authentic and believable way. And there's sort of minimal dialogue in this film. There's not a lot of talking. There's not a ton of dialogue for her. She conveys everything through her eyes and her face and her expressions. And she was very young when she did this role. She was in her late teens. And I have to say something about Alexandre Desplat's score for the film. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's 
it's been one of my favorite soundtracks for so many years now. Ever since I saw the film, ever since I heard that music, the the music just makes the film. Like it puts it on another level. The film would still be great without that score, but that music just does something. It swirls. It has this light about it as it's almost like the sonic... Uh, it's like the sonic version of Vermeer's painting because there's so much light and beauty in Vermeer's work. And the score by Desplat is just captures that light, captures that beauty. Ugh, I, I can't even talk about it. I listen to the score constantly. I'm always listening to it. It's one of my favorites. I love to put film music on and, and read. It's one of my favorite things to do, actually. And this is one of my top, top soundtracks. I love Alexander Desplat, and I think this is one of his best soundtracks, along with Jonathan Glazer's Birth. That's another big, big favorite of mine, and I have an episode about Birth actually because it's one of my favorite films but I had to say a word about the music and I'm recording this episode right after watching the film and it's the first time I've watched it in a few years and I almost feel like I'm in the afterglow of this film like I still love it watching it this time it was just as great as I remembered and oh I just love it so much So the film starts with Scarlett Johansson playing Greet and she has to leave her home. Her father has been injured. It doesn't say it explicitly in the film, but in the book he was injured at um, the tile factory where he worked. There was a big explosion. And so she has to leave and she goes to live with the Vermeer family so that she can help support her family. So that's that's why she's going to live with the Vermeers. She's a Protestant. They are Catholics. That's also a part of the story. It's not a big part of the film, but it's there. And it's set in Delft Holland in 1665. Immediately, something that I love about the film is that it is about a maid. It's about a working class girl. And she is entering a world of privilege that she's never seen before. You know, her her home is very modest and simple and she goes into the Vermeer household and it's there's an opulence to it. It's large. There are paintings all over the walls. You know, Katharina dresses very beautifully and owns pearls and they're able to eat meat and fish and to afford good food and her own family probably does not have that. And you see the difference in the way that Greek dresses. Greek dresses very simply. There's even some scenes when it's the winter time and she's wearing this shawl and you can tell how thin it is she's someone that doesn't have a lot she doesn't even take much with her when she goes to live with the Vermeers she takes a tile that her father gives her she takes a few things to rem- to remember her family she gets to go back and see them once a week probably we see her going to church and things like that so she does get to see them but her life becomes dominated by the Vermeers and by the work that she has to do in the house so immediately we have a a young girl who is pushed into a very difficult situation of having to provide for her family and of being working class and being a maid she's really on her own as well she's lonely she's away from her family you feel that pressure that's been placed upon her it's almost in some ways the end of her childhood 
and the loss of her own innocence that she can't be a child anymore. She can't, she has to go and she has to work and she's young. And instead of being able to enjoy her youth, she can't do that. She has to provide for her family. And I like the way that the the film shows the labor that goes into sustaining opulence, that when we see beautiful homes often, or even you know, when we watch these historical dramas that are often about the rich and the privileged, that there is this whole underclass, there's this whole group of people that are doing things to sustain it and to uh, make sure that it exists, that these manicured lawns and these beautiful homes are maintained by an entire group of people, and that often that doesn't get talked about. You know, the maids don't get talked about, the people who do that physical labor labor and that physical work, it's often not acknowledged. And so I'm always drawn to films about class, about the working class, about people who often go ignored and unseen. And I see greet as part of that. And that's another thing that I loved so much about the book. I come from a working class background. I grew up in the rural South. I still live in the rural South and I'm still working class. I had periods where we really struggled financially, my family, because when my dad got sick around 2003, he eventually had to go on disability. And that was a really hard experience. And he actually got hurt on the job where he worked. He worked at a warehouse loading trucks. He loaded like 18 wheeler trucks. It was like a furniture place and he would load boxes onto trucks. That was his job. It was very physical. It was very hard. He, my dad was just incredibly strong and, in, and incredibly fit. He played football when he was in high school. He played baseball. He played all kinds of sports when he was in high school. He was very strong and very hardworking. He, he really was, but this was the job that he had and he ended up getting an injury at that job and it changed his life forever. And he started to struggle with health issues and it was really hard for him. It was hard for him to accept his body was really betraying him in a lot of ways, that his health was deteriorating. It was a profoundly difficult experience for him. And, and when I was living through it. You know, I was 13, 14, 15, and then he died when I was 16. I don't think at the time I appreciated or comprehended, and how could I, what he was going through. And it is a regret that I still live with, that I didn't maybe reach out the way that I should have, that I didn't offer the support that maybe I should have. But at that age, I just didn't understand you know, at certain ages, you just don't get it. You don't understand what your parents are going through. You don't understand that they're human beings and they are people. And so when Greet goes to work because her father gets injured and disabled, that mirrors my own life in some ways. I didn't go off to work at 13 years old, obviously, but I know what it's like to see a parent suffer. I know what it's like to have a father who got injured <laughs> at his job and what that did to him. And we don't have much of a safety net in this country. There are not a lot of resources for people who go through that. It's also why I'm very political. It's also why I'm a democratic socialist and very much of a leftist is because I don't see these things as happening in isolation, that the government affects these things. 
It affects how people are treated. It, it affects what happens to people when they get injured or dis, or yeah, when they get hurt on the job. And sometimes good things do not happen. It's, it's a terrible experience. There's not a lot of resources for you. And so I saw my dad go through that. And so being working class myself and going through that experience, seeing a parent suffer and struggle, I, I see some of my own story in great in this girl. And so I, I feel I feel very deeply about Greet personally. Like I just see so much of my life in her. So we see in the film what her body goes through because she has to wash dishes. She has to do the laundry. She has to buy food. She has to scrub the steps and scrub the floors and sweep and hang the laundry up and take it down and all these other chores that she has to do. And there's another maid in the Vermeer household. Her name is Tanika. She lets lets Greet know, oh, this is all the stuff you've got to do. You'll get used to it. Tanika is very no-nonsense in this film. Greet has very little privacy or free time. She barely has a place to sleep. They put her down in the cellar for a while. So you see the reality of a maid's life in that time, in the 1600s, and what a young girl would have to go through. And you really see how scary it is, how hard it is. I mean, I was heartbroken every time they would show close-ups of Greet's hands, because they were just covered in burns and sores. She had the hands of someone decades older than her. So you see the toll that this kind of work can do on a woman's body. But Greet is stoic and she bears it. She does the work. She does what's expected of her. She wants to help her family. She's a very honorable person and she has a lot of integrity. But I think it's a real strength of the film that it it focuses on that. And it made me think how it's similar to Vermeer's paintings in a way. He showed opulent women. He showed rich women. Women who were wearing, you know, mink and pearls and writing letters. And he showed the, the upper class more. But he did show women's lives. He did show the everyday experiences, I guess, of women at that time. And so I think the film does something similar when it really zeroes in on Greet's physical labor and the things that she has to do and the way that she is part of an apparatus that is sustaining the opulence of this family. And often that doesn't get shown in films. It doesn't get shown. We don't get to see the downstairs. We don't get to see the maids and the butlers and the chauffeurs and their lives and what they go through. And so this is a film that shows that. And it's very much about class in that way. That here is Vermeer, here is Greet from a different class, the working class. And she's going into this world that is completely alien and foreign to her. And she has to find a way to navigate it and survive it. And I felt like there was just this sadness about Greed. She was very alone, you know, and she has so much pressure on her. And I think this is why Scarlett Johansson's performance is so powerful, is that she conveys so much of that. I think Scarlett's face is just perfectly suited to this film. She acts through her eyes and her face beautifully. She conveys these very deep emotions of wonder, fear, curiosity, desire. It's just all in in Scarlett's face. It's it's absolutely stunning actually. And Verm- and Greet is entering 
a world where she doesn't really know the rules and she's entering a space where there is domestic turmoil, where there is domestic conflict because Vermeer is a slow painter and they're not making as much money off his paintings as they would like because he's not churning them out constantly. So there is financial precarity in the household. There is conflict between Katharina and Vermeer. She is pregnant, Katharina is, and they already have many children, so he has more mouths to feed. There's this conflict within the household and this turmoil that Greet enters into and her presence sort of exacerbates those things. That because of the portrait that Vermeer will eventually paint for Van Riven, Katharina becomes very jealous of Greet, and so that creates another layer of drama and conflict in the film. So Greet is entering a world that she's not really prepared for, and that her very presence, she destabilizes things even more. Maria Tins is... Katharina's mother and she's very she's very much the matriarch of the family and she talks to greet some whereas Katharina played by Essie Davis won't even really interact with greet at all but Maria Tins is a very important figure in the film she's the one keeping everything together she's very practical she knows that Vermeer needs this patron Van Riven played by Tom Wilkinson she's just a no-nonsense kind of person But there's a lot of instability within the household itself. There is financial struggle. There's financial pressure to feed all these children, to keep this household going from a painter who only does like one painting a year, who is not very fast and is not working at the speed that Maria Tins would like him to. And part of Greet's job when she goes into the house is to clean Vermeer's studio. Now, the book explains this better. When Greet's father was in that accident, he lost his eyesight. So she had to learn how to clean things and move things and then put them back where they had been so that her blind father can find them again. And so she's perfectly suited for cleaning Vermeer's studio because she can put things back exactly where they were. So that's that's kind of why she was chosen for it. And when Greek goes into the studio for the first time, her face just lights up. She goes in there to clean it. And it's like in that moment, this whole other world is opened up to her. And it's sort of how I felt about the book and the film. And it's what I feel about art and Vermeer's paintings and what they make me feel is that there's these new worlds, these new possibilities. And I have to linger for a moment on the look of this film, on the cinematography and the beauty of the film and what Peter Weber was able to achieve. You absolutely feel like you have stepped into a Vermeer painting that for the hour and a half or so of this film, you have the honor of living a Vermeer painting. That is what this film feels like. It is breathtaking. Breathtaking. I don't know if I've come across a film as beautiful as this one. It absolutely lives up to Vermeer's aesthetic and the quality of Vermeer's paintings. I can't imagine a film that could ever rival it in that way. When Greed is outside in the exteriors, when she's walking along the canal, it feels so real. When she's inside the home, you know, the interiors, the exterior shots, the, the clothing, everything about it just feels so... You don't feel like you're 
watching people wearing costumes. You don't feel like you're looking at something where the actors are on a set. That's not how you feel when you're watching this film. You feel like you are living in a Vermeer painting, that you are in Delft, Holland in 1665. You absolutely feel that way and you never doubt it. You never doubt it the entire time that you're watching. It's so real to you and the period detail and the quality is like top notch. It's just, it remains one of the most beautiful films that I've ever seen and it also remains one of my favorite adaptations of a book ever. Like, period. You know, sometimes you have this feeling that the book and the film are mismatched, that the book was better, but the best adaptations do not just copy the book plot point by plot point. They capture the spirit, the soul of the book. And that is what this film does beautifully, is that it takes this novel and it translates it to cinema and it keeps the heart and soul and beauty of the original. And that is what I look for in an adaptation. That's what's important to me. And I think that this film absolutely accomplishes that. So a big part of this film is Greet's relationship with Vermeer. If you think about it, Greet's life is incredibly monotonous. It's dominated by work. For her, every day is the same. And she has very few options in her life other than marrying Peter, the butcher's son, and having children with him. And that's what she eventually does. That becomes her fate at the end of the film. It's it's not spelled out in the film, but that's what happens in the book. And so that's what I infer at the end of the film. So she has little choice. She has little control over what happens to her. But I think that her relationship with Vermeer makes her feel free. Free in her mind. Like there's more to life than the steps that she scrubs and the linen that she washes every day. And I think this film, again, I'm going to go back to this idea of it it focusing on a working class woman, a, a domestic woman, a woman who is a maid, is that so many times these women fade into history. Nobody asks them about their dreams. Nobody asks them about what they want or what they desire. So many, so many women did that work. So many women do it now. Women who work at hotels, women who do all kinds of domestic labor and work as maids, and their lives remain so invisible. I just just love how this film centers a girl doing that and gives her a voice to some extent and imagines what she thinks and feels and wants and what her struggles are and what her dreams are. That's something that is incredibly beautiful about this film is that it asks us to remember a character like that and to think about women who perform this work And I think that matters. I think it matters a lot. So many people in the household treat Greet like she's nothing, like she's below them, or like she's trouble. You know, she's seen as as a thief before she's even stolen anything. Katharina doesn't want her near her jewelry, things like that. So she's almost already criminalized in a way because she is a maid and she's seen as lesser and they don't talk to her like she's a person. But Vermeer, when her relationship starts to develop with Vermeer, he sees her as a person and she has thoughts. There's that scene where she goes to ask Maria Tins and Katharina if she should wash the windows because if she washes the windows, it could change the light. And they're shocked that she could have this kind of thought. (laughs) that she could think about 
the light that she could be that intelligent. I mean, they're really stunned by it. So when Vermeer starts to interact with her, I think, first of all, there is a sexual tension between them. I think there is an immediate attraction between them. As soon as she enters the house, she, when they first bring her in and they show her to the studio, but she can't go in yet because he's working, she sort of stares at the studio door because she's already intrigued by him. And at times she feels like he's watching her. So even before they speak, even before they come into contact with each other, there is some kind of electricity between them. And that's an aspect of the film that I find really fascinating, is that sexual tension, that erotic attraction that is unspoken and that remains unspoken to a certain extent. Her relationship with Vermeer is just very powerful. There's that sexual tension, but then there's To me, there's something deeper, and it's not something I can put into words. It's very mysterious to me, even as I rewatch the film for the hundredth time or something, is there's just this current between the two of them, and I don't think it's completely sexual. There's something else there. Maybe Vermeer sees something in her, and maybe she didn't see it until he saw it and sort of showed it to her. And a big part of this film is looking. I mean, I think any film about art is about looking. You know, when we engage with a painting, we're looking at it. You know, when we watch a film, we're looking at it. Greet, in so many ways, is unassuming. And she's somebody who is invisible and who makes herself invisible. She's very timid. Greet is. You can see it on her face. You can see it in her body at all times when she's in the different scenes with the different characters, especially with the Vermeers. She wants to get in and get out. She wants to serve the food and then get out. <laughs> she doesn't want to be noticed. She doesn't want to cause waves. She does not want to be seen. Maids are supposed to be invisible. The work they do is invisible. They're not seen and their work is not seen either. So I think when Vermeer looks at her, it's like he's seeing her. It's clear that she's never really been seen. And it made me think about, you know, how many of us go through our lives that way, never being seen, never being noticed, never being looked at. I know that that's been a big part of my life of being someone who's not seen, who's not looked at in any way, and the pain of that. Because I think looking is a kind of acknowledgement, isn't it? I think it's very powerful when someone looks at you, when they see you, they truly see you. I don't think all of us get to have that experience. I certainly haven't. And I think to some extent, maybe I'm scared to be seen. I feel like greet in a lot of ways in that I try to make myself invisible, that a part of me just wants to disappear and dissolve. And I don't want to be seen by people because it's very vulnerable. But I think it's very powerful for greet that she is seen by Vermeer, that Vermeer acknowledges her, that he speaks to her. Because the first time that greet goes into the house, she makes the mistake of talking to Katharina first. Katharina comes outside while Greet is doing one of her chores and Greet says something to her and Katharina says don't spoke unless you're spoken to. It immediately sets up a hierarchy. It immediately sets up this idea that you need to stay in your place. You're a maid. 
you're not supposed to speak to me first. That's not appropriate. Whereas all of her interactions with Vermeer are very different, where they actually talk to one another. They are like, uh, maybe not equals, but he sees her as like an actual person rather than his servant. And he sees her. And I think she senses that he sees her, that he's looking at her. And I think she is aroused by him looking at her, by him seeing her. And I think Greet's desire is also a part of the film, that she likes him looking at her. She likes the idea that he may desire her as well. When any time in the film when she is in his presence, it's almost like she can't breathe. It's all over Scarlett's face, the way that she acts it. Like, she looks terrified when she's in his presence. It's almost like she can't breathe. I think she feels something for him and it is partly sexual, but I think it's more than that. I think she feels something for him that she can't contain, that it is, it makes her come undone. It unravels her. And I think that scares her, the passion maybe, and the desire and the connection that she feels to him. There are times in the film when she's watching him paint and she just seems to love it. She loves watching him paint. And at one time he explains to her what he's doing in the painting. He talks about the base color and he's talking to her again like she's a person. And they start this conversation about colors in the clouds. He asks her, you know, what colors are in the clouds. And at first she says white, but then she looks deeper. She looks harder at the clouds and she says yellow, blue, and gray. And so he knows that she understands color. He's impressed with it. And he smiles when she says that. And she smiles because I think that she feels really proud of herself that she was able to say the right answer and please him, obviously. But also that she, that maybe she's capable of more than she thought. I mean, her life is only pots and pans and laundry, but through her interactions with him, now she can look up at the sky, at the clouds, and she can see something more than what she saw before, that her connection to him gives that to her. That before, I think there's sort of a before and after her relationship with him, you know, before she was just a maid. And maybe that's all she thought of her life and of herself. But she sees his art and it changes her. She sees his paintings and she is amazed by them and deeply moved by them. You can tell she's fascinated by them as well. And that's sort of, I guess, how I feel about art too. And and why I guess I fell so deeply in love with the book and the film and, and started to collect art books, you know, Frida Kahlo and Picasso and Van Gogh. And because those painters, those artists opened up a different world to me. You know, I was living in the rural South. My life was very sheltered, was very small, was very, you know, I didn't have museums to go to. We didn't have a lot of money. I didn't get to go on vacations. I didn't get to travel around the world. I've still never left the United States. <laughs> I don't have money to go travel and to do all these things and to see the world. You know, maybe if I was a different person, if I'd had a different life, maybe I could have done something like that. But I struggle with a lot of things. I struggle with anxiety and depression and agoraphobia. And I've been through a lot in my life. 
I've lost a lot. I've been traumatized in a lot of ways. So in a lot of ways, my world has shrunk. You know, it's become so circumscribed. But art, when I first encountered art, it expanded my world. You know, the Impressionists took me to Paris. Frida Kahlo took me to Mexico. Vermeer took me to Holland in the 1600s. Van Gogh took me to France, the south of France. These painters took me places and they opened up an entire world to me. That's how films are for me too. That, you know, Krzysztof Kieślowski has taken me to Poland and Fellini has taken me to Italy and Sachajit Ray has taken me to India. Ozu's taken me to Japan. And I've been able to see different worlds and different places and different lives and different experiences through this art, through books, through films, through paintings. It's expanded and opened up my world in so many ways. And so I think with Vermeer, this is Greet's first experience with the power of art, with seeing a painting and being enraptured by it and it opening up these possibilities and maybe activating her imagination. And now she can gaze up at the clouds while she's working and she can see something more than just the clouds. She can see the colors. She can see that there is something more to life because that's what art does for me is that it, it takes these things that are familiar to us, that are ordinary to us, and it can show us the, the beauty or show us the mystery that's hidden inside of it. That's something great about poetry, I think, that it can make the familiar new and different to you. You know, I think about a Mary Oliver poem when she writes about geese or she writes about nature. She takes something that's very familiar to you and creates revelation and epiphany and deeper and a deeper meaning in those things. When she recently died and I've been really heartbroken about it. But that's what art does. It expands our world, expands our minds, at least for me. That's what it does for me. That's sort of what it's been in my life. You know, it really is this catalyst that works on your imagination, makes you imagine other lives, imagine other worlds. I think that's a really powerful thing. And I think Vermeer sees something in Greet. Maybe he does see some kind of potential in her. I'm reminded of Roger Ebert's really beautiful review of this film. Roger Ebert gave this film four stars, which is the highest that he gave a film. To him, this was an extraordinary film. And when I read the review, it's incredibly emotional. I think this film touched something in Roger Ebert. It comes through the review so clearly. I mean, I have to share some quotes from it. He said, quote, sometimes two people will regard each other over a gulf too wide to ever be bridged and know immediately what could have happened and that it never will. That is essentially the message of Girl with a Pearl Earring, unquote. Another quote, mankind has Shakespeare's who were illiterate, Mozart's who never heard a note, painters who never touched a brush. Greek could be a painter. Whether a good or a bad one, she will never know. Vermeer senses it, unquote. I love those quotes. I love this idea that, that Roger hits on that, that what if Greek could have been a painter? 
that she seems to understand color and there's times when she's an active participant in his painting because he's doing a painting at one time and he has a chair in it and she removes the chair in the studio like she's trying to send a message to him that hey maybe the chair would be better if it wasn't there and she explains that she felt like the woman in the painting was trapped with the chair in the in the picture so she Vermeer brings something in her to the surface where she starts to almost think like a painter think like an artist and that was something she had probably not done before not done before or had not realized that she was doing that that maybe she saw the world in a certain way because as a woman and as a maid you know as a woman from a working class background that was not an option for her to pick up a paintbrush how many women writers how many women artists have we missed out on over the centuries and the decades women who could have contributed something but because of their gender or because of their class as well or their race as well right race gender class very important all together at times too when they intersect for certain people how many artists have we missed out on because of it and maybe greek could have been a painter like vermeer but she was never given the opportunity that's another sense that i get from the film is the limits of greet's life she doesn't get to go beyond that beyond being a maid that this is her life this is what it is and she kind of has to accept it. Her relationship with Vermeer for me is like really complex because there's this point at which she has to go out in the cold or in the snow to get something for um, Katharina and and Greet is wearing this very thin shawl. Vermeer goes up to her and he wants her to get something for him too and he touches the shawl and he says this is too thin so he seems to care for her to worry about her in that moment so he's both like the object of her desire I think she certainly desires him and yet he's also this paternal figure for her too no one cares about Greet no one worries if she's cold if her shawl is too thin she's pretty much on her own and she has to take care of herself she also has to take care of her family through her wages. But Vermeer does seem to care about her, to notice her, to treat her in a way that others don't. I think that that moves her too, is that kindness. Him caring, him worrying about her, like that's something that's absent from my life. You know, I don't feel cared about by people. I obviously feel loved and cared about by my mom. Um, my mother is my biggest support in life, but I don't have... A big support system. I don't have a big family that cares about me. I don't have lots of friends that care about me. Um, I'm pretty much on my own except for my mom and I don't have people to emotionally fulfill me, to be there for me, to care about me and it's something that really wears you down after a while to not have that, to not feel loved by people, to not feel like people miss you or think about you. So when Vermeer says that about her shawl, I just thought it was really kind. But at the same time, um, he does make demands of her. He wants her to start mixing his paints. She says, well, I have other chores. He says, you're going to have to make time for it. <laughs> and while she, I think she relishes being an assistant to him and helping him with the paintings, it's still difficult. She has all this other work to do and now she has to do that as well. You see how her interactions with Vermeer really affect her and awaken her 
in a way. And like Ebert said, maybe in another time and place, she could have been a painter herself. And I love how the film invites us to wonder what this girl thinks and what she's seen and who she is. Um, You know, Scarlett's performance just beautifully conveys the inner life of a young girl, her dreams, her desires, her fears. And all of that comes out because of her relationship with Vermeer. I have the sense that that relationship will mark her for the rest of her life, where she'll probably always be haunted by, by what he stirred in her, what he brought to the surface, and maybe revealed things to her that she didn't know was, she didn't know was there. But that, that relationship is complex. There's like a sexual thing to it. And then I think there's something that's not sexual. I don't know, like there's something deeper and mysterious that you can't put into words. But there is definitely sexual desire, sexual tension. And I definitely picked up on it when I was a young girl (laughs) watching the film, even reading the book, like the eroticism in it, like to me as a young girl, (laughs) you know, as like an 11 or 12 year old girl was really fascinating and I like I said I love Colin Firth (laughs) I have a huge crush on him (laughs) I think I first saw him in Bridget Jones's diary and in this film he absolutely just smolders right like the man can give a look that turns you to mush it's just incredibly erotic to me (laughs) and I don't know if I can I don't know if I can name another film that has such sexual tension in it and that shows no nudity and show the two characters never end up together. There's no sex scenes, hardly. There's the point at which Greek goes and has sex with Peter, but it's not explicit in any kind of way. But it's an incredibly erotic film to me. Like, I can't explain it. And I feel weird even talking in this way, <laughs> But it's just, I have to talk about the eroticism of it because it's there and she wants him. I think she absolutely wants Vermeer because there are times when something will happen uh, between her and Vermeer and you can tell that she's that she's into it. (laughs) She really is. And I always had the sense that when she was with Peter, because her and Peter, you know, he's the butcher's son and they go out walking and her family's very excited at the prospect that she might get with the butcher's son because that means they can have meat, right? There's this point at which they're walking and he grabs her, Peter grabs her, pulls her towards him and they kiss for the very first time. And I just always imagine that Greet's thinking of Vermeer in that moment, that she has to direct her desire toward Peter because she can't have Vermeer, who's the man that she really wants. But while the, and I'll get back to the desire um, in a moment, but I really want to comment about sort of the helplessness of Greet's life when it comes to men. Because in many ways, there is a lot of sexual harassment in this film. Obviously, we're in the Me Too era, right? And we're much more conscious of sexual harassment and violence against women and sexual violence, abuses of power, things like that. And much of Greet's life is really controlled by men, especially Vermeer and Van Riven. But Van Riven in particular, because he wants her and he desires her. And there's this point in the film when um, this is after Vermeer has started to do the portrait of Greep that Van Riven asks him to do. And he comes outside when Greet's putting up the laundry and he tries to rape her. He tears her shirt open. She's absolutely terrified 
in that moment of what he's going to do to her. She's very scared and she's only saved by Katharina calling out for her and he has to stop. And it's just, it's a upsetting scene. It feels very intense when you're watching it. And Cornelia, one of Vermeer's young daughters, is watching it. When I was watching this scene, you know, I'm watching it in the Me Too era. I'm looking at it. Well, I've always looked at it as this really difficult scene. But the film shows how all the women are trapped in this patriarchal system, in this misogynistic world right? Katharina, Maria Tins, Greet, even the young girls, Vermeer's young daughters who watch these things and can do nothing about it. We see that throughout the film, the way the men have a lot of the power. Vermeer has the power within the household. He can either choose to help Greet at times or not. Van Riven has the power in his interactions with Greet. Even Peter. I mean, does does Greet really have the option to say no to Peter? Because one day he just shows up. She had gone to the market to buy some meat for the family and Peter was there. She didn't say she was interested in him or anything like that. She goes home to see her family. She's in church. All of a sudden he shows up and he says that he had tracked her down. So that made me pause when I was watching. I was like, so she goes back home. He basically followed her back to her parents' village and just walks into the church I felt like in a lot of ways when it came to Peter, Greet did not have a lot of choice in that. That her, she feels the pressure from her family. Oh, he's a butcher's son. That would be good for us. Is that really what Greet wants? Not necessarily. But she's sort of in it and she has to go along with it. I mean, she eventually warms up to Peter and they, you know, they get along and, and all of that. But he kind of tracked her down and it was like, hey, we're going to date whether you want to or not a little bit. I don't think she had a choice in it. So we see that the power that the power that men can wield in these women's lives, how women are quite powerless and helpless within it, especially in the 1600s in Holland. And we also see how that patriarchal culture uh, forces women to be very competitive, jealous, cruel to each other because now they have to to vie for love and attention of these men. You know, Katharina becomes very jealous of Greet because she feels like uh, Vermeer cares more about Greet than her and is spending more time with her and, and things like that. She becomes very jealous. And so these women are trying to have some form of power and control in their own lives, but those things always seem to be very illusory, that they can only feel that power when they're subjugating one another or putting down one another. You know, Katharina feels a sense of power when she's putting greet in her place, because otherwise Katharina has very little power. So the film shows women's lives in all their complexity and difficulty, really. And while Vermeer's paintings are very beautiful and they're about wealthier women, the film shows a more raw reality, a more authentic reality of women's lives, women who are maids, women who don't have a lot of power. So I want to return to desire and the eroticism in the film. I just wanted to, for a moment, acknowledge, you know, the the violence against women in the film, the violence against Greet, how vulnerable and precarious she is 
is because she can't upset Vermeer and she can't upset Van Riven because her own status will be uh, threatened. And Maria Th- Maria Tins doesn't want to upset Van Riven either. She knows that they are all dependent on Van Riven for his patronage and his money. At one time she says, you're a fly in his web. We all are. So all of these women are entrapped in a way and very aware of the power that men have in their lives. And I wanted to acknowledge that. And you could even argue the relationship between Vermeer and Greed. There's a power imbalance. She's a maid. He's her master. That's what Van Riven says many times. Your master. It's a master-servant relationship. But within that, I do feel that Greet has authentic, genuine feelings for Vermeer. That it's not just, oh, he's my employer, so I have to interact with him. I have to pretend. She genuinely feels something for him and is genuinely attracted to him. And there is this gorgeous uh, scene where he starts to paint her and she's wearing her cap. She wears this white cap throughout the film and you can never see her hair. Peter earlier in the film wants to see her hair and she refuses. So Vermeer asks her to take the cap off so that he can see her face better. She refuses to. He tells her, well, there's cloth in the storeroom. So she's to put this cloth in over her hair. And that's what becomes the turban that we see in the painting. Of course, we don't know if any of this happened in real life. This is all imaginary and fictional. But she chooses blue and gold to put in her hair later on. But when she's back there in the storeroom and she's taken her cap off, her beautiful golden hair is flowing down her back. Vermeer is just standing there watching her. It's incredibly erotic (laughs) for me personally. I mean, the look on, on Vermeer's face, you know, with Colin Firth is like, he wants to just drink her up. Like he wants to just have her in that moment. And she, at first she's a bit startled, but she looks right back at him. She is giving him the look, you know, she is like, yes, (laughs) She, she like, you can tell that she likes that he's looking at her, that he's seeing her, that he wants her. I just love the way that she looks back at him. Because if you think about the painting itself, it's about a woman looking back, a woman gazing back at whoever is gazing at her. And there's something very powerful about that for me. There's a sense of like agency and autonomy in it. There's a sense of desire in it. And she's looking right back at him with the same sort of, I think, ferocity and the same kind of erotic desire that he's looking at her with. And nothing happens. You know, nothing sexual really happens in the film. It's about two people who don't act on their desire. It reminds me a bit of Brief Encounter by David Lean in that way about these two people who want to be together, but they have too much integrity to give in to their feelings and to, you know, cross that line into physical contact. And so Vermeer walks away. I mean, he could easily walk over there and kiss her and they could make love, but that doesn't happen. The film withholds that from you. And it's a frustrating part of the film. I remember when I was young watching it for the first time. And when I got really infatuated with the film, I had wished that the film had diverged from the book because that was something really frustrating at that time for me about the book was that we never had that sexual consummation. We never had that catharsis where the two of them got together. And I was like in a 
frenzy over it. I was like, I want these two people to be together. <laughs> um, like I just, I wanted them to get it on. That's what I'm saying, y'all. <laughs> That's what I like. Who was I? I was like 11 or 12 years old. <laughs> and I was like, I want these two people to have sex. Um, <laughs> Oh God, I don't know how you're judging me right now. (laughs) And so the film, I was like, ooh, I want the film to show something, you know, I want the film to go there, but they didn't. They withheld it. They just give you that sexual tension. But I would say this is one of the most erotic films that I have ever seen. I don't know what that says about me. I'm a bit of a prude and I'm pretty sheltered about this stuff. But I find it incredibly erotic in that way, in that it does withhold it from us that we don't get to actually have that consummation, but we get every other great thing. We get the, we get the sexy looks, we get the desire, we get, you know, him watching her, we get her beautiful hair, we get her licking her lips. Like it's an incredibly sensual film in that way to me. It just, it just is. I I love it. It's something that I really love about the film. So now that I'm older, obviously I see, well, my God, they could not, they couldn't have sex. Um, they couldn't do that. They, it just wasn't what these two people were going to do. But when I was younger, I was upset about it. (laughs) But there is just this very deep unspoken attraction between these two people. It's never consummated. It just hangs very thick in the air between the two of them. They come close, but they don't cross that line ever. But when he is standing there watching her, oh my God, Colin Firth, the looks he could give. Oh, And then there's the scene where he's painting her one day and he wants Greet to lick her lips. Oh, Lord. This is a very erotic scene. I mean, Scarlett's lips are incredibly beautiful in this scene. It's another example of the sexual tension that there she is licking her lips in front of him. And you can tell that both of them are sort of aroused by it, I guess you could say. But it's just another way that the film is incredibly erotic and sensual without anybody taking their clothes off, right? And those are the films that are more compelling to me because we we have plenty of films with graphic sex scenes in them. They're, you know, there's a lot of them out there. Very rarely do you have a film like this that has the sensuality to it. I wouldn't be surprised if there are a lot of other women like me that love the film for that reason. Just this beautiful sensuality and this unspoken desire and, or this this desire that's never acted upon, but this just very deep and you feel it. And then of course there is the scene where he pierces her ear. Oh my Lord. Another very erotic scene to me. And she, he wants her to wear the pearl again, while he at times treats her like a person at times he doesn't at times he does not understand her status in the household. That if she wears Katharina's pearls, her status is going to be threatened that she may lose her job for for doing it, but he doesn't care. You know, it, he still in many ways is like the other men. He wants what he wants and she has to give it to him no matter what. He doesn't care that losing her job could be disastrous for her, that she tries to, that she is um, providing for her family. You know, the burden of her having to pose for him on top of all the other work that she's doing. He doesn't care about that. So in some ways he treats her well and in other ways he doesn't. He wants what he wants and she's supposed to cater to his desires in that way. 
So he wants her to wear that earring, that pearl earring. Her ears are not pierced. So she asks him to pierce it for her. And he does. He takes this needle, I guess, and pierces her ear. And he's like, this is the closest they have really ever been. Where he is right there at her face. He pierces the ear. And I think you could also see it as like a metaphor, sexual intercourse that they never have. You know, the penetration, the the piercing, that it's, they have, they can't do it with each other so it is almost like uh, symbolic through this act of him piercing her ear she gasps when the needle goes through the skin and he he tries to comfort her you know he brings her close to his body and then this tear falls down her face from the pain and he wipes that tear and then with his thumb he rubs her bottom lip I still can't get over it <laughs> I still can't get over it. It is one of the most erotic, sensual things I've ever seen on screen. And you can judge me all you want. I don't care. I love it. I love this film. I will not feel ashamed. And she turns at that moment to kiss him, but he walks away. I mean, the man has the willpower of, I I don't know what, that he just walks away. Like he, he's not going to go there. He's not going to do it. But in that moment, she would have absolutely kissed him and it probably would have gone much farther. I just still love the scene. I love it. I love the intimacy between the two of them. I love the way he's trying to comfort her. And then it organically sort of turns into something more erotic with him rubbing her bottom lip. Her desire, you know, is just all there. Oh Lord, that is like such an amazing scene. I still love it. And after he pierces her ear, that's when she does the iconic pose of the girl with the pearl earring where we see Scarlet looking behind, looking at Vermeer, you know, after that intense, intimate moment that the two of them have had. And she's looking back and they beautifully recreate that moment. I mean, it looks almost just like the painting, her turban, the shirt that she's wearing, the the light in her eye, the gleam on the pearl, even the wetness of her bottom lip. It's all there. And it's exactly what you see in the painting, girl with a pearl earring. And then that night, because she couldn't be with Vermeer, she runs to Peter and her and Peter have sex for the first time. She can't be with Vermeer, so she finds a substitute for her desire. And I think that as she's with Peter, she's most likely thinking about Vermeer. But in the end, nobody protects Greek. Katharina finds out about the pearl and she sees the painting. She says that it's obscene. She's very jealous of Greet. I think that she suspects there's some kind of affair going on between uh, Greet and Vermeer and she fires Greet and nobody protects her. Vermeer doesn't stand up for her. Maria Tins doesn't uh, stand up for her. Nobody. She is cast out of the house because she's on her own. She has been from day one in that house. She walked into a storm that she wasn't prepared for. She walked into a very unstable, tumultuous household. And her presence, as I said at the beginning, destabilized it even more. And she is eventually cast out of it. And then later on, sometime later, Tanika brings her the pearls brings her this package with the pearls in it. In the book, Vermeer had died, I think, and the pearls were left to greet. 
they don't show that in the film, but that's sort of the background of that, that he died and left the pearls to her, or I guess maybe somebody at the household wanted to give them to her. And the look on her face, like you don't totally understand how she feels because that experience was probably incredibly painful for her. That does she have positive memories of being around Vermeer or does she have negative memories because of the way that it ended and the way that she was cast out and how nobody protected her? I think maybe there's all of that in her face when she looks up and when she realizes of what the pearls are and she sort of crumples them in her hand like maybe she's mad because of what the pearls did to her life that she lost her job and everything that came after that. It's just, it's a very powerful moment where you're not sure if she's happy or mad or what she's feeling exactly because so much happened. But I think what probably matters most is that relationship with Vermeer and When he shows her the painting before she got fired and all of that, he showed her the painting at a certain stage before she had put the pearl earring on and before he added it. And she's astonished when she sees it. And she says, quote, you looked inside me, unquote. And it goes back to my argument that this film is so much about looking and seeing. And I think she felt seen and I think she felt acknowledged by Vermeer. Despite his difficulties, And despite the pain, she did feel like here was a man who did see something in her and did respect her in some way and treated her like a person and saw her soul, saw inside of her. And what a powerful moment for her to look at a painting of herself, of this this maid, this invisible woman, this woman who nobody cares about. And here she is in this painting. I mean, I think it would be wonderful if she really was a maid, but we don't know. We don't know for sure who it was. But to see herself represented, to see herself put into a portrait, what a powerful moment that must have been for Greet to know that she had been seen. Ultimately, Greet's experience of the Vermeer household was one of pain, but also one of transformation. And maybe you can't have one without the other. Maybe the greatest transformations that happen for us do come through pain. I think that's what happened with Greet. Vermeer opened up a whole other world to her, one that she'll probably never forget. And for me, the book and the film combined together opened up new worlds for me too and spoke to some of my experiences, you know, as a working class person, as someone who's saw a father whose body was really disintegrating and who was struggling and suffering. And I feel like I lost my innocence the way that Greet did. And it's interesting to think about how, as I was seeing the film, I was around the same age that Greet would have been. You know, when the film came out in 2003, I would have been around 14 years old. And I think Greet's like in her teens. And I think it probably spoke to me for that reason as well, is that here is a girl around my age and having some of my similar experiences. I think I did see some of myself in greed. And of course, that's another aspect that's powerful about art. It's when you see yourself reflected in a work of art, just like when Greet sees herself in the painting, she sees herself reflected in it. She sees an aspect of herself captured 
there. And I think for me in the book and the film, I saw parts of my life captured, even though I also learned about a life or or put myself in the shoes of someone also very different from me. And it took me into the past and it got me interested more in art and it really changed my life in so many ways. And I think it'll always be dear to me for that reason. I just think there are things from our childhood that they live in us forever. We never can let them go. And we never lose them, really. They're always part of us. And I think that the child that we were, I think that stays with us too. Or I think it should. I think that we should try to hold on to that child. Because I think there is wonder and curiosity and sensitivity that is worth holding on to. I think it's the tender part of us that we should really try to preserve and salvage. Because the world can really try to destroy it and beat it out of you and erode it. And I think it's worth holding on to. And so I'll always come back to these films and books and these things from my childhood, always. I don't think I will ever let them go, nor do I think I should. I'm really grateful for Girl with a Pearl Earring, the painting, the book, the film. I'm just grateful for all of it. I hope that I hope that I did this some justice. I really wanted to because it's such an important part of my life. I don't think the film gets the appreciation that it deserves and it was really important for me to show you that it's not just a pretty film. It's not just an aesthetically pleasing film. Of course it is. It's not just surface that there are depths to this film and depths to the story and what it's talking about. And it's actually really complex. And it's really sort of an anti-Hollywood film. There's no action. It's not exciting. There's no sex, really, except for the sexual tension and the sort of intangible eroticism in the film. There's no big explosions. Um, it's slow. It's quiet. It's a film that you have to work at, I think. You have to put the pieces together. You have to figure out some of the subtext and the story that's going on. I think it's just a film that will stay with you. I know it stays with me and I still love it because it's a coming of age story about a young girl and about her life. The life of a girl that a lot of people ignored and didn't see and didn't care about. Her life, um, her life matters too. The, the lives of women like this matter. The women who are maids, the women who scrub the steps, the women who sweep, the women who take care of everybody else, the women who take care of the children, the women who do all of this labor and all of this work that goes unnoticed and unappreciated, the women who walk by you every day and nobody asks what their dreams are, nobody asks what they desire, what they want, what they're thinking about what they love because that's how they treated greet but there was so much more to greet all it took was one person to see that and to ask and to show her things and to treat her like a person and I think maybe that was the revelation for her too was to just be treated like a person and I think it's beautiful I think greet's beautiful soundtrack's beautiful the film's beautiful but it's beautiful because of its humanity it's beautiful because of the way that it centers a young girl, a young teenage girl, centers a maid, a working class woman, and tells that story. I will stop here. I've gone on long enough. Thanks for listening. Until next time, keep watching great films. Bye for now.